You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. And open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I found myself surrounded with the tongues, the modern tongues phenomenon on more than one occasion, and I relayed a story to you last week of the special youth event that we partook in as a as a class at the Bible College. There was another one where we went to a conference. In my third year of Bible College, we went to a missions conference in Calgary. Calgary is about six, six and a half hours from the Bible College that I attended, and um, we got a certain number of credits for going to this missions conference, and they had this big keynote speaker who was supposed to be there. He was obviously a charismatic, and this conference was huge. It was akin to our Christian Workers Conference, or what's now called the Christian Life Impact Conference that they have every year in Spokane. Um, Very, very large, but the key distinctive is that it's all charismatic. And in the resource center, they had it set up. You could buy almost anything but the Holy Spirit. They were giving Him away for free. If you went to their class or you bought their book, they would tell you how to get the gift and how to speak in the tongue. And and uh, I even got in a discussion, which is a real mild way of of saying it, I got in a discussion with somebody who claimed to be a prophet, who had a booth there, and his job was raising up modern-day prophets and teaching men and women how to use their prophetic gift in telling the future and in explaining God's message to people nowadays. And it was really quite an eye-opener. There was another instance more recently where they had a revival scheduled for the city of Sandpoint. And uh, I wanted to go to that because it's not often that anybody schedules a revival for Sandpoint. It was so close to home, I thought, this is great. And there was a local church that rented the Bonner County Fairgrounds. And if I remember right, it was one of the nights during this revival was on the evening of my birthday. And so on one of my my birthday, I went for a couple hours and went out to the fairgrounds, and they had rented this big tent, um, circus, like a circus tent. Appropriate, I thought, circus tent, because what went on inside was akin to a circus. And I kid you not, inside they had a a man who was the teacher or the minister who supposedly had the, the anointing of the Spirit of God upon him and his ministry, and that everywhere he went, it was accompanied with these fantastic manifestations of the Spirit. And inside they were slaying people in the Spirit, which is this thing where by the laying on of hands, you're overwhelmed and overcome by the Spirit and fall backwards into some ecstatic trance. There was people speaking in tongues. The prophet who was there, and there was more than one prophet, but the prophet who had the mic while I was standing there was giving out little personalized messages from God to people in the congregation. I just kind of stood in the back. I've never been a participant in any of these things. I've always been a spectator. And I just stood in the back and just sort of soaked it all in, just enjoying the spectacle. And uh, somebody who had helped organize the event came up to me and kind of nudged me during the whole event and said, you should go up front. Go up front and get a little of the Spirit. That was what he said to me. I said, no thanks. And I just stood there for a while and took it in and then left. Uh, What are we to make of all of that? As Christians, you realize there was a time in our country and all over the world where those type of manifestations were considered to be heretical, 
aberrant, fanatical, fringe, and even occultic in nature. Today, they're mainstream in the church. And not only mainstream, but they're so common and so accepted that to even question them or to criticize them or to scrutinize those practices in light of Scripture subjects you to being called all kinds of things. A blasphemer, a hypocrite, you're accused of standing in God's way, of blocking God's paths, of fighting against the Spirit of God, and all of those things. What was at one time, even just a hundred years ago, considered aberrant and heretical as today mainstream. How did we get there? It's been a long road. One of the manifestations that at one time was considered fringe, fanatical, and aberrant, and in some some circles even occultic behavior, was is speaking in tongues. A hundred years ago, you didn't have that at all. The only people who ever spoke in tongues or claimed to speak in tongues were part of the fringe groups. Today, it's center stage in the church. And we've spent the last two weeks sort of addressing the subject of tongues. Two weeks ago, we were in Acts chapters one, uh, chapter two, verses one through thirteen. We just looked at the events on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast day, when the Spirit of God came and those apostles and what they did and how the Spirit manifested Himself through them. Last week, we covered the subject of tongues. We're taking two weeks out last week and this week to really address the issue of tongues and answer some questions as pertains to the gift of tongues itself. If you weren't here last week, you're going to need the context because today builds upon the foundation that I laid last week. So if you want that tape, I would encourage you to get it. If you weren't here and you want to understand more in depth the answer to the two questions that we answered last week, and that's these questions. First, what is the nature of the gift of tongues? What was tongues? And we saw in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 10, and in Acts chapter 19 that tongues are always languages. Literal, human, understandable, interpretable, intelligible languages. Even down to the very dialect. If I were to demonstrate the gift of tongues to you, I would stand up here and speak to you the mighty works of God or preach the Gospel to you in the Chinese language, even a specific Chinese dialect that would be understandable to somebody in the audience who does not speak English, who himself has the mother tongue of Chinese. And that dialect. Or if I were to stand up here having never learned, read, or heard the Russian language and speak to you the Russian language. That's the gift of languages or tongues. It's a language. Never gibberish, never babble, never incoherent speech, never repeated syllables. Always language. Second question we answer, what was the purpose of tongues? What was tongues? It was a language. Why was that gift of languages given? What was the purpose of it? For that, we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is the only passage in all of the New Testament that addresses the gift of tongues and what the purpose, specifically what the purpose of the gift of tongues was. Paul, quoting Isaiah, says, the law says, I will speak to these people in a language that they do not understand. Now Paul quotes Isaiah for the purpose of, of showing the, the reason for the gift of tongues was as a sign to unbelieving Jews. So he quotes Isaiah who said to the people of his day, because you have not listened to the prophets that God has sent in your own tongue, I'm going to speak to you in a foreign tongue. And that was fulfilled when the Babylonian army came in and those Jews heard foreign tongues on their soil and they understood what? Judgment. They knew a foreign language spoken on our soil is a sign of judgment. Moses gave them that sign. Isaiah gave them that sign twice. And Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 5 gave them that sign. Told them when God, as a sign of judgment upon the nation is when you hear foreign tongues spoken on your own soil because that means you've been conquered. And they understood that. The Jews understood that. 
wasn't given as a sign to Gentiles to be lost on Gentiles. Only a Jew would understand that sign. So that's why Paul says, quoting Isaiah, I will speak to this people, the Jews, in a language they do not understand. And then Paul says, therefore, or so then, tongues are for a sign. Tongues are a sign to unbelieving Jews of a judgment that was to come. When did the judgment come? This is all review. 70 A.D. When Titus came into Jerusalem, sacked Jerusalem, laid the temple, absolutely laid it, uh, laid waste to it, destroyed everything, burned the city, killed over a million Jews, took thousands of others captive, all in fulfillment to a prophecy that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 19, saying that this would happen because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. So when did the judgment come? 1,930 years ago, the judgment came. Tongues were a sign to unbelieving Jews of a judgment that was yet to come upon them. That was the purpose of it. Now, having understood what tongues were and what the purpose of tongues, that raises a few more questions that we have to address, and we're going to look at those three here this morning. And the three questions are this. Are there other purposes for tongues? Second question is, have tongues ceased? And the third question we're going to answer then is, how do we explain the modern phenomenon? Are there other purposes for tongues? Have they ceased? And how do we explain the modern phenomenon? We already know what the nature of it is. We already know what the purpose of it is. So now we have to really analyze what we see going around us and ask ourselves, is this of God or does it have some other source? And let's look at those three questions. The first one, is there other purposes for tongues? Are there other purposes for tongues? If there are other purposes for tongues, Scripture is silent on the matter. There's no other passage in Scripture than 1 Corinthians 14 that tells us what the purpose of tongues is. So if there's another purpose for tongues, no inspired author in the Holy Spirit doesn't give us any indication that there is any other purpose. If there were other purposes for tongues, this would have been Paul's opportunity in correcting these Corinthians to say, here are the purposes for tongues assigned to unbelieving Jews, and this and this and this and the other thing. But he doesn't do that. He says, this is the purpose. Tongues are for a sign. Now, a lot of people say, well, that seems awfully narrow to say that there's only one little narrow, unique purpose for the gift of tongues. Your beef is not with me. It's with the Holy Spirit and with Paul. Because if there were another reason for tongues, this is where he would have said it. He's giving these Corinthians correction. And he's trying to give to them understanding. And so in verses 1 through 19, he goes through all of their misunderstandings of the gift. And he whittles away at those until he gets down to verse 20, 21, and 22, where he says, This is the purpose. And he gives them one. In Acts chapter 2, it functioned as a sign to unbelieving Jews. Those Jews who were there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 19, wherever the gift of tongues is used, whether it's in Cornelius' household or with the disciples of John the Baptist, the very existence of that gift and the very use of that gift was a reminder to every Jew who saw it, heard it, or heard of it that judgment was coming. That's what it was intended to do. Now some people say, but tongues has other purposes like self-edification and a prayer language. We're going to look at both of those possibilities. But what I want you to notice from 1 Corinthians 14 is that Paul does not say tongues are for assigned to unbelieving Jews and tongues are for your own edification and tongues are for a prayer language. doesn't say any of that, does he? Notice the absence of any other purpose but one, assigned to unbelieving Jews. Now what about a prayer language? Somebody will say, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says that in the same way the Spirit helps in our infirmities, 
and He makes intercession for us which, with groanings that cannot be uttered. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And people grab onto that verse and they say, that's tongues. That's a foreign tongue. A groaning that cannot be uttered. What you need to understand is that the subject of tongues is completely foreign to the context. Paul's not talking about tongues. Paul's talking about the work of the Spirit of God in the lives of the elect. He talks in the first part of the chapter about how the Spirit is our victory over sin. The last part of the chapter about how the Spirit Himself calls us and sanctifies us. And who then can bring a charge against God's elect, Paul ends it with. And in the middle of that chapter, he's talking about the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in you and I, and Paul is saying the Spirit that's in us is in constant communion and communication with the Father. And what He prays for to the Father on our behalf is something that cannot be put into, into languages. Constantly, the Spirit of God in us is in communion with the Father. And you and I cannot put words to that communication. It is inter-Trinitarian communication. And Paul's point is the Spirit of God does that on our behalf. It has nothing to do with tongues whatsoever. What about 1 Corinthians 13? Turn back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Well, there Paul says, If I speak with the tongue of angels, therefore, tongues is not necessarily just a human language. Tongues is a heavenly language, an angelic language. And Paul says, If I speak with the tongue of angels, but I don't have love, I have nothing. That's an indication that Paul spoke in a heavenly language, not a human language, but an angelic one. Not true. Not true at all. Paul doesn't say, I do speak. Paul says, if I spoke. And all he's really doing is giving us a sort of an exaggeration, a hyperbole, an overstatement. If I speak in the tongues of all men, and if I add on to that the ability to speak some angelic language, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. To look at how Paul is stating things in an extreme sense, look at verse 3. If I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, what does it profit me? I don't see many charismatics suggesting that we give our bodies to be burned. But they are trying to suggest that we speak with the tongues of angels. Paul's just using hyperbole. doesn't matter what I did. If I speak all languages of men, all languages of angel, if I give my body to be burned, he's just giving the preeminence of love. has nothing to do with him himself speaking in some angelic, incomprehensible, ununderstandable language. But the real crux of the issue is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. Let's begin at verse 1. Still discussing the subject, what about prayer languages? Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Aha! Someone will say. Right there, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. And Paul there is saying that you and I can use our private tongue to communicate with God. For no one understands, Paul says in verse 2, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Aha! Somebody will say. There's another purpose. Not only do we use it to speak to God and not men, but we can use it for our own edification, our own building up. Paul says you speak in a tongue, you don't speak to men, you speak to God. And when you speak in a tongue, you edify yourself. Here's what you need to understand about 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is not a commendation. It is a condemnation. 
It is a correction to these Corinthians who had misused, misunderstood, and abused spiritual gifts. Back in chapter 13, he talks about the preeminence of love. He gets into chapter 14, and what he says is not, well, you speak in a tongue, you're not speaking to men, you're speaking to God. That's not a commendation. The purpose of the gift of tongues was not to speak to God. That's Paul's point. The purpose of the gift of tongues was to speak to men. Paul says, you're using it not to speak to men, you're using it to speak to God. You've prostituted and abused the purpose of the gift of tongues. It's not a prayer language. They should have understood this. Paul says, you're not speaking to men. That's where the gift should be being used. He says, instead, you're speaking to God. And nobody understands you, he says. You speak mysteries. It's a mystery to you. It's a mystery to the people who hear you. It's a mystery to God. Nobody knows what you're saying. It's all mysteries. It's a condemnation. It's correction. Is it a prayer language? Paul says, no. You guys are so messed up in how you're using the gifts, he says. That when you speak in a tongue, you're not even doing it for the purpose in which it was given, which is to speak to men. You don't speak to men. You speak to God. And you think that God hears you. And Paul says, nobody understands you. It's a mystery in your spirit. Well, what about my own edification? Paul says, you speak in a tongue, you edify yourself. Right? That's not a commendation. That is a condemnation. That's not the purpose of the gift of tongues. What other gift is there that was given for your own edification? Any other gift? Any other spiritual gift that was given for your own edification? Chapter 12, verse 7, each of us has received a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's the edification of others. It's the building up of the body. And Paul says, you speak in a tongue, you edify yourself, not others. The purpose of tongues was to speak to men the wonderful things of God, to communicate the Gospel is assigned to unbelieving Jews, and it was for the purpose of edifying the church, everybody building everybody up. Paul says, you get together, you edify yourself. That is no compliment. Now, if after this message you came up to me and said, Jim, when you get up there and speak, preach, you don't speak to men, you speak to God. Nobody understands what you're saying. It's all a mystery. Can I tell you that that's no compliment? That's obvious, right? What gift was given for the purpose of ministering to God? None of the gifts. All of the gifts are given to serve one another. Tongues is not given to minister to God, to pray to God, to communicate with God. That's what your language and your mouth is for, and your mind. He doesn't give you a tongue to have some sort of communication. It's no compliment for you to tell somebody, look, when you speak in the church, nobody understands what you're saying. You're not speaking to men. You're just up into the air is where your mouth is going. Look at verse 9 of chapter 14. Paul says, So unless you utter by the tongue speech that's clear, how will it be known what is spoken for your speaking into the air? That's no compliment. He's not saying you're addressing the Lord and you're speaking up. He's saying you're just talking out of your hat. You're talking into the air. You're wasting your breath. Because nobody understands what you're saying. That's not a compliment. If you came up to me after the service and said, Jim, every time you preach it's for your own edification. It's for your own building up. Just to make yourself feel good. Just to make yourself look good. Just to get something out of it yourself. Can I tell you that that's not a compliment? It's not. What other gift was given for my own personal edification? None of them. Whether you teach, evangelize, preach, encourage, have the gift of service, whatever it is that you do is intended to be done for the body and to the body. And tongues was no different. Paul says, you don't talk to men. You're talking to God into the air. 
And not only that, but you're doing it for your own edification. The only one's profiting from this is yourself. It's not intended to be a, a prayer language. That's why Paul looked down in verse 13 of chapter 14. Verse 14, sorry, of chapter 14. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I don't understand what I'm saying. And the Corinthians might say, well, I pray in a tongue and my spirit really is built up and I feel so good and so spiritual and so strong. Well, Paul says, if I speak in a tongue, my spirit prays. That's what they were doing. He says, my mind is unfruitful, so what's the point? And then he says in verse 15, I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Never in Scripture are we ever encouraged or commanded or instructed to disengage the intellect in order to pray or to worship. Our prayer and our worship is with the mind engaged. So are there other purposes for the gift of tongues? What about a prayer language? It's not given for a prayer language. It's not given to speak to you guys. It's given to speak to men. It's not given for our own edification. It's given for the building up of the body. Now the third question... Or the second question, have tongues ceased? Have tongues ceased? I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. If we understand the nature of the gift of tongues, and if we understand the purpose of the gift of tongues, that they're assigned to unbelieving Jews of a judgment that was to come, and that judgment came in 70 A.D. in fulfillment to the prophecy of Jesus, if that's why tongues were given, then it would stand to reason, would it not, that the gift of tongues no longer has a purpose for today? In fact, it no longer has a purpose after 70 A.D. I think we can all agree with that. Logically, that follows. Now, there are some who say all of the gifts are given for all of the church age. Apostles, prophets, miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation, wisdom, knowledge, teaching, encouragement, exhortation, leadership, service. All of the gifts, all of the spiritual gifts are intended from the day of Pentecost until the day of the rapture for the whole church age. There are others, like me, who say a lot of gifts are intended for the whole church age, but there's a unique category of gifts that were only intended for a specific period of time. And having fulfilled that purpose and having been given to those unique people, the time having passed, the purpose having been fulfilled, the people having died, those gifts are no longer operating in the church today. That's called cessationism. I am a cessationist. I believe that there are some gifts that have ceased. When did they cease? Now really there should be no, no question whatsoever that tongues will cease. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 8, the apostle says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will be done away. The question is not, will tongues cease? We all have to agree that tongues will cease. The question is, when? Will tongues cease? Was it something that was future to Paul and to us? Or is it something that was future to Paul when he wrote this, but is past for us? When will tongues cease? Not will they, because Paul says what? Tongues will cease. Now if you have the NASB, I just want to say good boy or good girl, because the translation here in the NASB is the clearest of all of them that I checked out. The NASB translates verse 8, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will be done away. Prophecy and knowledge will be done away. Tongues will cease. The apostle uses two different Greek words 
And he uses two different voices in the Greek. Let me explain to you how this works out. Prophecy and knowledge will be done away. It's a word that means to be abolished. And it's in the passive voice indicating that they receive the action. In other words, something else is going to come that is going to do away with prophecy and with knowledge as they functioned in the early church. The question is, what is it that's coming that is going to render inoperative prophecy and knowledge? It's verse 9, that which is perfect. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Same verse, same word. They will be done away. So prophecy and knowledge are going to be abolished when something else comes. There's no, they're no longer going to fulfill their purpose. And so they're going to, they're just going to be abolished, passed away. Tongues, different voice, different word. The word means to just stop or to come to an end. And it's in the middle voice indicating not that they're going to be done away with by something else. It's in the middle voice indicating there is something in tongues itself that's just going to run its course and peter out. There's something built into tongues as a gift that makes it so temporary. Paul says it's going to cease. It's just going to sort of peter out in and of itself. It's just going to fade away. There's something in it that causes it to stop because of the nature of the gift. It's a sign of judgment. And if the judgment comes, it's going to run out before that judgment comes. Kind of like a battery. By nature, the battery only has so much power. It'll last for a period of time, and it'll eventually run its course and run out of energy, and it'll be done. That's the idea that Paul is communicating with tongues. He differentiates between prophecy and knowledge and the gift of tongues. Prophecy and knowledge are going to be abolished by the coming of something perfect, which I believe is the New Testament, the completed Word of God. The gift of tongues will simply sort of peter out in and of themselves. It's just going to cease to operate. So have tongues ceased? Well, yeah, I think tongues have ceased. The argument from 1 Corinthians 13 is that tongues will cease. Well, when did they cease? 1 Corinthians 14, they were a sign of a judgment that's to come. The judgment came in 70 A.D. What purpose do they fulfill now? And you know, as you look at church history, you know what you see? Shortly after the apostolic era and even before the close of the first century, tongues just petered out. Tongues just wasn't an issue. The last we read of tongues is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, written in 55 A.D., which coincides with the timing of the last occurrence of tongues in Acts chapter 19, the book of Acts. So you have those two things, 55 A.D., the last recorded instance of tongues. Here Paul's writing the correction, telling him, you guys are all messed up. It's going to cease. They're going to come to an end. And he tells them that. You don't read of tongues in any of the later epistles of Paul, any of the epistles of John or Peter or Jude or James, None of those guys mention them. Everything written after this is silent on the subject of tongues. Particularly everything written after 70 A.D. is silent on the subject of tongues. It just doesn't come up again. And then as you look at church history, guess what you see? All the early church fathers, Justin, Martyr, Origen, Clement of Rome, even though there were voluminous authors who wrote volumes of books, none of them ever mentioned the gift of tongues. It's really not mentioned until the year 345 when... Uh, Chrysostom mentions tongues. In his commentary on 1 Corinthians, Chrysostom writes this, the whole place, and he's speaking of tongues, he says this whole place is very obscure, but the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts referred to and by their, speaking of tongues, by their cessation. Early church fathers said by his day, tongues had ceased. This is 345 to 400. 
And then he goes on to say, being such as then used to occur, but now they, they no longer take place. Augustine, writing at the same time, said these were signs adapted to the time, for there behooved to be that signing of the Spirit in all tongues to show that the gospel of God was to run through all tongues over the whole earth. That thing was done for a sign, and it passed away. Testimony of the early church fathers, after the time of the apostles, in their day, they said, we're ignorant as to what tongues really were even about, because they had such little knowledge of it from the Scriptures, and they said it's past. You know what the exceptions are? Little splinter groups throughout church history who were heretical, aberrant, plagued by false doctrine, self-proclaimed prophets who led people astray, like the Montanists, the Quakers, the Shakers, the Mormons, and a bunch of other little cults and followings that claim to have the gift. Testimony of church history is that for 1,800 years, from the close of the first century up until the year 1900, no gifts. When did they cease? Sometime before the end of the first century. Paul said they would cease, writing prior to the judgment that was to come that would render the gift basically obsolete. He said they've ceased, and the testimony of church history is they've ceased. And now we're supposed to believe that after 1,800 years without the gift... All of a sudden, a segment of Christianity has rediscovered it. Uh, Paul says they'll cease. The purpose for which they're given has been accomplished. I look at church history for 1,800 years, there is no gift. And now I'm to believe that they've started up again. And I'm to believe that on the basis of what? Somebody's experience? That's not good enough for me. And there's nothing in Scripture that suggests that tongues would cease for a period and then they would start up again. Nothing like that. Paul says they will cease. Like a battery, they're just going to run out in and of themselves. It's exactly what history shows has happened. So now the question is, how do you and I explain the modern tongues phenomenon? What's the nature of the gift? It's languages. The purpose is assigned to unbelieving Jews. Are there other purposes? Not that Scripture gives us. Have they ceased? Based upon the testimony of Scripture, primarily, and of history, I must conclude that they have, if I understand what tongues was all about. The third question is, how then do we explain what it is that we see going on around us. Do people get into an emotional high and speak in a tongue, either in the worship service or in their private prayer or in small group Bible studies? Does this happen? Yes, it does. Do people get caught up in ecstatic babble in certain church services? Does it happen? Yes, it does. Do they feel closer to the Lord? I'm sure they do. Do they feel strengthened and edified and built up as a believer? I'm sure they do. I don't deny any of that. I do not deny that the experience happens. I do not deny that the experience is very real to the people to whom it happens. I do not deny that they even feel certain emotional benefits as a result of the experience. The question is not do they happen. The question is why do they happen? And what is the source? And there are only three possible sources, and I'll give them to you. The first source, it could be the work of the Spirit. It could be the work of the Spirit. It could be an act of God. That's certainly possible. We can't put God in a box and say God could never do that. And by the way, when I say tongues have ceased, I'm not putting God in a box and saying God could never give the gift of tongues. I'm just saying God could do it, but Scripture reveals that He won't. Scripture reveals that He doesn't. It's not an issue of whether God can do something. The issue is, does God do it? Could God destroy the whole world in an instant tomorrow? Well, yeah, He could do that. Will He? No. He's still got a whole plan to unfold, so we know He's not going to do it. It's the same thing with tongues. Um, I was going somewhere with that tangent that I got off onto. 
Uh, it could be a work of God. It could be a work of the Spirit. It's possible. If it's the work of the Spirit, then Scripture tells me how I will know. It'll be a genuine, human, understandable, intelligible, translatable language. It'll be that. It will fulfill the God-given purpose for which it was given, which is assigned to unbelieving Jews. And all the times that I've been surrounded by the tongues being talked, I've always looked around and I don't see any unbelieving Jews. Never see that. But more importantly, Scripture indicates and history indicates that the gift ceased. So I don't think it's of God. Two other possibilities. Number two, it could be the self. Second possibility, it could be self. What I mean by that is it could be a learned behavior. It could be something that I learned to do. Go to a class, go to a seminar, read a book, how to get my gift. Somebody lays their hands on me, something that I learned. You hear, if you hear the syllables repeated over and over and you are surrounded by it enough and somebody coaches you in doing it and gives you some steps to do it, you can learn the behavior. And after a period of time, it can become something that is rote that you do not even have to think about. It just happens. When I do a roof, when I put on roofing, I don't sit there and study and think it through. It's just, it was a learned behavior and I do it out of habit without even thinking about it. It just, I just do it. And the same thing could be tongues. I think this is the category that most tongues phenomena falls into is the self. It's a learned behavior. It's something that they learn to do, repeating the syllables over and over and over and over again until they learn to do it. And then they're just able to do it. And they don't need the ecstatic emotional experience anymore. They can just break into a tongue at will and give you the same stuff that happens in prayer or give you the same syllables that happen in the worship service. It could be a self. It could be psychologically induced. That's not the third one, but this is under it being a product of our self. You take somebody and you bring them into church family, they're a brand new believer, and you tell them, you got to get the gift. You're not really going to be able to walk with the Lord or be spiritual until you get your gift. And, and you're going to have struggle after struggle after struggle until you get your gift, and you got to speak in tongues. Everybody's doing it. All your friends are doing it. It's the best experience in the world. you got to do it. You've got to do it. And so you go and you get into this emotional pitch and this, this emotional fever, and the expectation is upon you, and then you get some teacher who wants to coach you in how to use your gift, and he's praying, and you get caught up in this emotional worship service, psychological inducement. And then you're encouraged to let go of your natural responses and your reflexes and let the mind go and the spirit go. And what happens? You begin to speak in tongues. Modern phenomenon. It's psychologically induced. There's a whole bunch of other ways that it can come from the self. Um, I tried to memorize a little passage of the Greek New Testament for you this morning just so I could get up here and just rattle off Greek words after Greek words after Greek words over and over again to impress you. I can do that. I can learn to do that. It's not a work of the Spirit. It's something I learned to do myself. The third possibility. Before we leave the self, I want to tell you about a recent study. MacArthur writes about this in his book, Charismatic Chaos. A recent study conducted at Carleton University in Ottawa demonstrated that virtually anyone can learn to speak in tongues with minimum instruction and modeling. Sixty subjects who had never spoken in tongues or heard anyone else do it were used in an experiment. After two brief training sessions, including audio and videotaped samples of tongue speaking, all of the subjects were asked to attempt to speak tongues for 30 seconds. Every subject in the test was able to speak passable tongues throughout the 30-second test, and 70% were able to speak fluently. With minimum coaching, somebody can be taught to do it. There's a third source, Satan. And I mentioned that last, and I mentioned it reluctantly, because I don't think that a lot of tongue speaking falls into this category, 
but I'm not quick to dismiss it as a possibility. Charismatics will only entertain one notion. It's of God. If I've experienced it, if I had it, if I feel good, it's of God. That's it. Bottom line. Doesn't matter what scripture says. And you can get in a discussion with them and bring them right back to scripture. And that's what it boils down to. I experienced it. It must be of God. They're not even willing to entertain the idea that it could be a learned behavior. They're not even willing to entertain the idea that it could come from themselves. And they're certainly not willing to entertain the idea that it could be a demonic deception. Because Satan is the master deceiver. He loves to counterfeit the genuine. And he loves to get Christians caught up into subjective experience, chasing one experience after another, one experience after another, without ever testing them in the light of Scripture. And there are occult practices and pagan practices and witch doctor practices and tribes where they have been known to speak in gibberish that is reminiscent of the modern tongues movement. Quoting MacArthur again, he says, Among the Zonga people of Africa, when a demon is exercised, the song is usually sung in Zulu, even though the Thonga people do not know Zulu. The one doing the exercising is supposedly able to speak Zulu by a miracle of tongues. Today, ecstatic speech is found among Muslims, Eskimos, and Tibetan monks. A parapsychological laboratory at the University of Virginia Medical School reports incidents of tongue speakings among those practicing the occult. It is possible to be a satanically induced or demonically induced phenomenon because it does not just happen to Christians. The phenomenon also happens among pagans and witch doctors, tribal people. I'm not suggesting that all of our charismatic brethren are demon-possessed. It's not what I'm getting at, so don't say that that's what I'm saying. But it's definitely not a possibility that it can just be brushed aside lightly without some somber reflection. It's the nature of this. I don't think it's of God because Scripture doesn't reveal the tongues are for today. So that leaves myself and Satan. Now, some charismatics will say that they learned it or they got the gift at a class. Can you tell me what spiritual gift you get by going to a class? Spiritual gifts are given at the moment of salvation by the sovereignty of the Spirit of God as He wills. I didn't go to a class to get my gifts. I didn't attend a seminar. I didn't have anybody coach me. I don't get caught up in an ecstatic, mindless state and then begin to preach and teach. I don't do that. And charismatics say, well, it just comes over me. I get caught up in worship and I can't control it. If that's true, it's the only spiritual gift I know of that is beyond the control of the person using it. I control my gift of teaching. I can teach or I cannot teach. I can preach or I cannot preach. I can choose how often, when, where, to who, why, what. I can control all of that. I can decide to not teach next Sunday if I want to. I can walk away from the ministry and never preach or teach again. It's all under my control. It's the sovereignty of the Spirit of God who uses the gift in His people. But you control your gift because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So you control your gift, whether it's encouragement or leading or teaching Sunday school or gifts of service or evangelism. All of those gifts are under the control and the direction, partly, at least from the human perspective, of the people who've been given the gifts. There's no gift in Scripture where you have to bypass the mind, give up control of yourself, and just let go, and it manifests itself. No other spiritual gift is like that. And tongues was not either. The apostles on the day of Pentecost, I am convinced, could stand there and they could choose what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and the order in which to say it. And they controlled the ability to speak in those languages to those people. They weren't praying in a language. They weren't caught up in an emotional frenzy. The Spirit of God gave them ability to communicate in a tongue they had never learned for the purpose of communicating the gospel to those who were from all over the provinces under their control. 
Now as we wrap this up, let me close with two things. First of all, we got to be reminded, and I know that I'm speaking to people here this morning because you've got them in your life and I've got them in my life, of people who, uh, we have people in our lives who are close to us, relatives and good friends even, who think they have the gift of tongues. And I just want to remind you, the whole thing needs to be, be covered with love. We're trying to speak, even though I'm speaking passionately about this and trying to argue persuasively, it needs to be done in a spirit of love. And when I talk to my charismatic friends and uh, uh, people that I'm associated with, it, it needs to be this truth spoken in love. And I am convinced from Scripture that what I've taught you in the last three weeks is correct. It's accurate. If I didn't think that, I wouldn't have taught it. But when I communicate that to my charismatic brethren and friends, I need to remember they are my brothers in Christ. I love them. I, I need to love them fervently and communicate where I'm at in love and not needlessly offend them, but try and give them the truth in love. So I want to reemphasize the love element. Second, I want to reemphasize something that we started this with. You and I do not judge the Scriptures by our experience. Once again, I want to close with that. We do not judge the Scriptures by our experience and say, well, I experienced it, or I know somebody who experienced it. That is irrelevant. What does Scripture say? That's the question. What does Scripture say? I don't care what you have experienced. I don't care what I have experienced. None of that matters. All that matters is that the Word of God is held to be the final judge, the final rule, and the final arbiter in all that we say, believe, teach, and practice. Bottom line. And that's it. The the tendency in the church today is to go on the emotional and the excitable and to not test experience in the light of Scripture. And everybody goes from one experience to another, never asking themselves, is what I'm experiencing backed up by a clear understanding of Scripture? Does it hold up to intense scrutiny from the Word? Nobody wants to ask those questions. But you and I need to ask those questions. And we need to analyze our experience in the light of Scripture and always, always, always hold to Scripture because this contains all that is necessary for life and for godliness. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for what Your Word does teach us. And it is clear sometimes it is very difficult to understand and difficult to apply, but we thank You, Father, that as we begin to compare Scripture with Scripture and try to make sense out of things that are 1,900 years removed from us, that we have the enlightenment of the Spirit. And we do trust and pray that You would open our eyes and our hearts to understand this. And as we continue to think on these things as we walk away from here, We pray that you would give us the understanding from Scripture that we need and give us that commitment as well to test all things in the light of your Word. The unfolding of it brings light, and in your Word is perfect truth, and we want our lives to be in harmony with that. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.